It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ashley Webster. I'm Kennedy. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. I'm Lisa Brady. Today's big spending in politics was bankrolled decades ago in the nation's highest court. That was a seminal Supreme Court decision that basically said speech is money, money is speech, and it's political, and therefore it's protected, and you can do as much as you want. I'm Chris Foster. Ford cancels plans to take AM radio out of its cars and trucks. Station owners, loyal listeners, and some members of Congress are working to keep AM spot on the dial. There are uh, media deserts, and there are technical deserts. And AM radio really comes in handy in those places. And I'm Stephen Moore. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. We're about eight months away from the start of presidential primaries, but ads picking sides started months ago. Ron DeSantis loves sticking his fingers where they don't belong. And we're not just talking about pudding. The Florida governor, a favorite target for opponents and focus for supporters long before officially entering the 2024 race. We will stand firm in the faith. We will be courageous. Here I stand. I'm not backing down. So who's spending all of this money on ads. Political parties and candidates have rules to follow, as do political action committees. But some nonprofit organizations are allowed to be politically active without the same limits or disclosure laws, including well-known groups like the NRA and Planned Parenthood. And while some groups voluntarily reveal funding sources, others do not. That undisclosed flow is what's known as dark money. And for super PACs, that flow can be unlimited. They do have to identify donors to the Federal Election Commission, but a donor can be a shell corporation or nonprofit that doesn't reveal its sources. An open secrets analysis of FEC filings says total political spending in the 2020 election topped $14 billion. That was more than double the record set in the 2016 cycle. With all due deference to separation of powers, last week the Supreme Court reversed a century of law that I believe will open the floodgates for special interests, including foreign corporations, to spend without limit in our elections. Then President Obama used his 2010 State of the Union address to slam the Citizens United decision. The justices ruling five to four that it was unconstitutional to block independent political spending from corporations, unions and other outside groups overturning parts of a campaign reform law. But that wasn't the high court's first trip down a bumpy road. Well, dark money really kind of came into light, uh, if you will, after the Buckley versus Vallejo Supreme Court case in the mid-1970s, 1976. Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. And that's basically where the Supreme Court said that money was speech and therefore speech is protected. So this was a First Amendment issue. And so, uh, you know, they basically said you could have any amount of money that can go into political speech. You can't curb that in some form. And, you know, there was something of a test that came out of that Supreme Court case, and it was sometimes referred to as the eight magic words. And the idea is that in something that is not directly associated with the campaign, but with a wink and a nod, you know, campaigning on behalf of an issue or a candidate or against a candidate, you can't say things like, you know, vote for or reject 
or vote against and so on and so forth. And so that's kind of the test, you know, that you can basically be taking a side in this, you know, debate, because again, this is protected political speech, but not really. And to track where some of this money is coming from is very challenging. And so there's no way to limit this based on that Supreme Court case in the mid-1970s. And the situation was augmented with the Citizens United uh, decision in 2010. And so you've had a couple of different instances where you've had just, you know, these surges of money because of what they have ruled at the Supreme Court level. President Obama famously rebuked justices during a State of the Union address over the Citizens United versus FEC decision that he said would open the floodgates. Was he right? And what was the reasoning behind the majority opinion in that ruling? Well, President Obama certainly didn't like it because he viewed it uh, and the way it kind of worked out. He was right about this. Politically, for the Democrats, it was not advantageous to them. And they kind of needed to step up their game and and work on this in in other ways. Uh, You know, in 2020, it's believed about a billion dollars in dark money was spent. And so President Obama was right in that sense. But again, and this is why it's it's very confusing and very hard to regulate. How do you determine whether or not something is political speech? People can take out ads and advocate for virtually whatever they want. And if it's not directly affiliated with a campaign or a candidate, and you know there are certain rules uh, from the Federal Elections Commission there that say, okay, you know, there's a way that it has to be endorsed by a candidate. That's why a lot of times at the end of these ads, you'll see in the fine print on the lower portion of the TV screen, it'll say who paid for that ad if it's coming directly from a a campaign, or you'll hear even the candidates say at the end, you know, I'm so-and-so and I endorse this message. With the dark money, you don't hear and see any of that because they don't have to. It's not regulated by the Federal Election Commission. But some of the groups, some of the super PACs, for instance, Mm -hmm. do have funding that's traceable up to a point or disclosed up to a point, but the original source may not be so traceable. Do I have that right? Yeah, it's a little bit of a shell game. You're absolutely right. And there's all sorts of ways since there you know, is a Supreme Court case on this, two, really. Uh, there is statute dealing with federal election law uh, and any good you know, attorney or, or, or campaign manager or whatnot, they can look at the law and say, OK, how can we get around this? and find these safe harbors where we are complying with the law, but not subject to the law because we're not doing something that makes this, you know, overt. And so that's where you have those sources of the dark money being very hard to trace. Are there any members of Congress who have professed to want to do something about this tangled web and, you know, anything to boost transparency? Or are they not motivated um, in part because maybe voters aren't so motivated on this issue. Well, you know, one thing, you know, you had something called the Disclose Act here on Capitol Hill, which basically said, all right, you know, those that are labor unions or interest groups, super PACs, they would have to disclose the source of the money if they spent more than $10,000. That's something that you've had, uh, you know, some people, you know, certainly, you know, the Democrats push for that. You've had some Republicans push for things like that, too. You've had Republicans, this is back about five or six years ago, maybe a little bit further back, actually, 
you know, did not want the Internal Revenue Service to clarify, to define, in fact, what some of these, uh, you know, provisions were in the language with dark money. That was a provision in a, a spending bill about five or six, seven years ago. Because, again, you know, if you, you can define something, but sometimes it is just as advantageous not to define something. So if you put language in, think about this for a minute. You, you put legislative language together and you put a provision in saying defining what you can't define. I mean, that's kind of how, how they work here on Capitol Hill sometimes. And, and so, yes, you've had certainly, you know, good government groups, certainly from both sides, a little more from the Democratic side, uh, say over the years, this is something that we think should be, you know, regulated. But I've said this for a long time. The First Amendment is really hard to get around, you know, especially, and this is where I, I started the conversation, Lisa, with Buckley versus Vallejo, because that was a seminal Supreme Court decision that basically said speech is money, money is speech, and it's political, and therefore it's protected, and you can do as much as you want. And sometimes that means you can spend as much as you want, or you can go to the nearest street corner or every street corner and yell as loudly as you can, and you have equal access to that. Uh, you know, It doesn't define whether it's on the airwaves or not. Obviously, the people on the airwaves or online are going to have a little more resonance than the guy on the street corner. Mm-hmm. Are both... Democrats and Republicans benefiting from undisclosed sources of funding. Yes, yes, for the most part. I mean, I mean, Democrats uh, will argue that Republicans probably had, as I said a few minutes ago, a little more in the advantage category. They saw that in the midterm elections in 2010 a little bit. You saw that in subsequent elections where it looked like Republicans were ahead of the game. But both sides have benefited from this. And it was just that the Republicans were ahead in the game a little bit more at one point. Democrats have kind of caught up. I saw a chart sourced from Federal Election Commission data showing total outside spending without disclosure of donors. So this would be, you know, not campaigns spending the money. This Mm -hmm. would be, quote unquote, dark money, outside spending without disclosure of donors. It did show a big spike in 2012 after the Citizens Mm -hmm. United decision, but then actually not so much in the past decade or so. What, What do you make of that? Because obviously political spending in general has only gone up, right? Right. Uh, You know, some people have talked about, you know, the economy, frankly. Uh, Some people have talked about maybe what is the legislative traffic uh, before the House and Senate. Uh, Obviously, they're working on right now some sort of a a debt ceiling package. So that's something that people might look for. But this Congress so far, there might not be as big a legislative lift as you might think. Plus, we are moving into a presidential year that's going to be very expensive. And you have a very competitive House and Senate because those both bodies are just separated by a couple of seats there. So, again, people are going to kind of sit on their money at a certain point. But again, you know, look at what happened last year in the last Congress, I should say, the previous two years. Uh, They passed a big infrastructure bill because they had talked about that for decades. They finally got something through. There was the IRA, as it was called, uh, which was the Inflation Reduction Act, which was kind of the big social spending package, which the Democrats wanted. There was a lot uh, of big legislative traffic in that Congress. This Congress, it hasn't been as much. And if you're dealing with kind of the very quotidian issues, you know, the one kind of outstanding issue is could they get something on police reform, which is something that's important to the left. But that's not going to have some of those, quote, dark money interests involved in that the same way that you might in some of these other issues that you could see. For instance, in an infrastructure bill where there are a lot of people at the table and a lot of actual interests that want a piece of the pie or don't want that piece of the pie to step on what their industry is, 
that you would have in an infrastructure bill. You're not going to have that, uh, you know, when you're talking about the D.C. police, which has been one of the issues here on Capitol Hill that they've talked about, or immigration or the border. Those issues just don't lend themselves as much historically, historically, again, sometimes these things aren't explored yet, uh, to uh, dark money. One other thing, I mean, what do you think it would take to drive change on the issue of dark money? Because it's very easy for anyone to go on social media and accuse someone in the other party of relying too much on dark money and make it sound as bad as possible. You would think that in and of itself might drive a push for greater transparency. Well, to some degree, both sides kind of have this issue, even though they might speak out about it. And again, the Democrats seem to speak out about it more than the Republicans. They kind of have the issue where they want it because it's good to speak out about it. And you can say, oh, Uh, You see what they're doing on the other side and you use these phrases like dark money. You know, it sounds ominous. You you know, it has that phrasing to it. And so the fact that they can just speak out against this and, you know, if they were legislatively and I would never rule anything out, there's just not the energy around it. You know, there's not a bill that's up and, you know, kind of moving right now. And unless you you have something front and center or there's a crisis, you know, let's say let's say hypothetically, Lisa, there were to be a big scandal in Washington that somehow dealt with this and, and, and that got an awful lot of press attention and there were high-profile prosecutions and people went to jail, then you might have something hit a a tipping point on Capitol Hill. I've seen issues like that come to the fore. I mean, just the fact they did a a gun bill that dealt, frankly, more with mental health than it did with firearms last year. They hadn't done anything on firearms in 30 years. It hit a bit of a tipping point. Why? Because you had these spates of mass shootings over and over again. So issues kind of ripen often driven by events, and there has not been an event, which would be, as I say, probably some high-profile scandal involving dark money that would get it to, to you know, come to the fore. And again, you're dealing with a very narrowly divided House and Senate and getting anything through a narrowly divided House and Senate, even though a lot was moved through legislatively last Congress, whether you like it or not, now you have a Republican House or Democratic Senate. That's, that's a bit of a challenge. Fox News Senior Congressional Correspondent Chad Pergram, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Stephen Moore with your Fox News commentary coming up. The AM and AM radio stands for amplitude modulation. It's the first way radio audio transmissions were ever sent experimentally in the early 1900s, then commercially during what's called the golden age of radio from the 1920s to 1950s. Then came FM radio. That stands for frequency modulation. Now we have digital, satellite, and internet radio, streaming services, and podcasts. Now, AM still has tens of millions of listeners, but that audience has been shrinking for decades, and it's not included in some electric vehicles. There's a bipartisan bill in Congress called the AM for Every Vehicle Act. New Jersey House Democrat Josh Gottheimer says it's vital. It literally goes through everything, goes through buildings, and AM the way it's built, it's meant for an emergency. It's why we've invested to back it up all over the country for emergencies. Ford had announced a plan to remove AM radio from all new vehicles, electric or not. That decision has now been reversed under pressure. I think they faced pressure from both Capitol Hill and 
I think it occurred to them. I, I don't think they thought this thing out. It occurred to them that they'd have the whole radio industry against them. Michael Harrison is the publisher of Talkers magazine covering talk radio and new talk media. Especially talk radio, which is full of opinion. And the automobile industry needs to have the goodwill of the media. It's not like they have clear sailing. They're, they're culpable for a lot of things, from the environment to the cost of vehicles to practices in terms of sales. I think they realized maybe this wasn't the best idea. But I'm not surprised because I think it was just a boneheaded, tone-deaf act on the part of those automobile manufacturers who decided to, you know, clandestinely eliminate AM radios from their vehicles without any kind of repercussion. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while. Like some, it hasn't been in Teslas for about five years, uh, AM radio. The argument is from some EV makers that there's just too much electromagnetic interference, that it makes the sound just untenable and it's not worth it. I can't imagine, I can't speak to what kind of engineering you'd have to do to, to remedy that, but otherwise I can't imagine keeping an AM radio in cars is that expensive. It is an expense. How expensive is, an, is another issue, but when you deal with thousands and thousands of units, they save money not putting AM radios in cars, and actually, eventually, FM would go as well. There's no reason to keep one and not the other, uh, based on their assumption that everything is digital. And to a certain extent, people can listen to AM and FM programming through Bluetooth and other digital means while driving. So in a certain way, it was a cost-cutting move but uh, not necessarily worth it. The other question is, could they do anything to alleviate the static problem? And that's very interesting because most technical people that I've talked to and engineer types say, of course they can. If they're able to invent cars that park themselves, <laughs> they could invent a car that doesn't necessarily have static that interferes with any kind of signal. So I think they're just going to have to work on that. Yeah, I mean, there are some on the right. There's been a little bit of a cause celeb on some right-wing talk shows saying that this is about silencing their voices. The members of I Congress... I that. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the members of... You don't buy that, you're saying. And I don't think that the powers that be at Ford or Volkswagen are sitting there going, let's get those guys off the air. Yeah. I just don't think they think that way. And ironically, many of them are conservative. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. They, I just don't... I think that that's programming hyperbole and a lot of talk show hosts like to make a, an issue of that and, i mean you know, god bless uh, them let them but it's not sure. true yeah uh well you know they're gonna talk about something i mean there are this is a bipartisan push by some people ed markey from massachusetts for example has been one of the bigger names out he's a democrat has been a, a, a senator one of the bigger names out in front of this issue now they probably care less about sean hannity's job than they care about emergency management in some rural areas fm is spotty internet could be non-existent for hundreds of miles that's correct there are uh, media deserts and there are technical deserts and am radio really comes in handy in those places and then there's the issue of programming it's not just talk shows you know news talk and sports talk but um there are programs geared to ethnic minorities there's a whole world of religious broadcasting both music and spoken word that depend upon AM radio to get their message out. And there are all kinds of agricultural programs out there that have no other way of transmission other than AM in some of the places where they don't have a lot of Wi-Fi. So you're stepping on the toes not only of uh, the big time talk uh, radio and sports talk radio communities, you're stepping on the toes of gospel, of religious broadcasters, and of 
foreign language programming, which is a lifeline to the homeland for many immigrants in this country who otherwise wouldn't have a way to know what's going on in their communities or outside their communities back uh, with their families at home. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, there are AM stations, or at least programming on some AM stations, if the whole thing isn't formatted this way, that may serve a very specific audience. And the program is very, very important to that audience. Yes, indeed. So I don't think it was nefarious. I don't think that um, they were out to hurt anybody. I thought that they, I think they just didn't know the difference between an AM and an FM device and other devices that have come and gone in the dashboards of cars in the last 25, 30 years, including A-track tapes, CD players. Cars came with CD players. Cars came with cassette decks where you, you know, remember the old cassette? These have come and gone. I mean, some people still you know, like to listen to them and use them, but they're no longer the hot item. But they don't have the same cultural legacy, cultural cachet, cultural uh, connection, and utilitarian purpose that AM and FM radio still have. Yeah, just talk about the business in general. I mean, with all this consolidation of stations that we've seen since the 80s and with the streaming and et cetera, et cetera, is it possible for, you know, to make a living either on the air or as a small owner, maybe to go super hyper local? Here's your high school games. Here's your agricultural reports. Here's your local weather. Here's your very local talk. Not only is it possible to make a living, it might be the only way to make a living as time goes by. Look at all the micro business that's available to a, a locally owned radio station that hyper serves the local market. People love to hear their college or uh, rather their high school basketball and football games uh, on the radio, community events, local fairs, all kinds of things that you could sell sponsorships to local business who are not concerned with advertising issue mentality of well how many costs you know how many how much is the cost per point and what are the ratings and blah 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 no it's part of the community the problem with big time radio today when i say big time i mean consolidation corporate radio national radio is that they don't spend the time and attention to market on that micro level to the community yeah maybe there's an opportunity there for small or even mid-sized entrepreneurs who could, you know, put together a little station group as, as some of these big players shed debt. Uh, Talkers, you launched it in 1990. Now, I remember, I'm old enough, I remember it being a print magazine. And it was really kind of, it was a trade magazine in large part. It still is. Yeah. It but, still is a trade magazine. But it's also, my point <laughs> is, it's also, it's 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 wider than that now, you, you think. Um, just because talk radio is such a mirror to other things. Talk radio exists as the hub of our wheel. We're talk radio centric, but we realize that talk radio cannot exist in a vacuum. And that talk radio here in the 21st century also includes cable news talk television. They're, they're cousins, these two fields. Matter of fact, cable news talk television grew out of talk radio, podcasting, satellite radio, and streaming. These are now the many different platforms that to run a talk radio station, the operator must be aware of these platforms and spread out in those directions. So we're still a radio-oriented publication, even though we don't print on paper. We still have a publication mentality, and we still have a radio mentality. But we know that radio, if it's true to its 
esoteric reality. What what is radio? It doesn't have to be on AM and FM exclusively. It could be on your iPhone. It could be uh, streaming. Uh, different brands and aspects of it could be on podcasting and the whole visual aspect. Uh, whether you're doing it on YouTube or you're doing it on one of the big cable operations is also part of that environment that we play to. My voice may be coming out of fewer towers than it would have 10, 20, 30 years ago, but there's always going to be voices in cars uh, and, and, and voices of people just being people who just want stuff in the background or people want to do other things while they're listening. Well, uh, there are certain things. <laughs> exactly. Audio is what you're talking about. Um, there are benefits to audio only programming because you can't drive a car and watch television and you can't uh, uh, sleep uh, and listen. Some people sleep all night long with it, with the voices in their heads and their earbuds. And, it, and it, uh, it calms them. It even educates them in some ways. So I think it's very important for those of us in the the media business, and in my case, this the talk media business, to be aware of how important it is to maintain the sovereignty, the uniqueness, the specialness of audio talk, audio media, audio broadcasting, as well as everything having a screen and a video component. Yeah. Well, look, Michael, the show that you're on right now, it's um, it's a podcast and it's on Terrestrial Radio, too. So, you know, we're, we're trying to make it work any way we can. You're doing a good job. That, <laughs> that, that's the only way it can work, because we live in the 21st century. And it'd be like saying I'm making a film only for movie theaters. It's never allowed on television. Well, is it a TV show if it's on television? No, it's still a film. Film can be shown on television. It takes a certain level of abstract intelligence to understand where the different platforms overlap and where they separate. Otherwise, we're going to reach a point where there'll be no more Oscars or, or Tonys or Grammy Awards or, or Emmy Awards because we won't know whether a thing is a TV show, a, a stage play, a movie, you know. we got to keep discussing these categories so that we understand what lanes we're in because there is a difference between the art form that is meant for the big screen, for the small screen, audio only, visual only. This is uh, all media theory, and it's important that those of us who are practitioners keep it in mind. We've been talking about an older technology, AM radio, and its, uh, its future in cars, specifically with uh, publisher of Talkers Magazine, Michael Harrison. Michael, good to talk to you. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Stephen Moore. What's on your mind? This has been the year for school choice all over the country. At least six additional states joined Arizona and Florida to give parents the funds to send their children to private and charter schools. Surprisingly, though, deep red Texas is not among these states. Currently, there is no school choice in the Lone Star State for low-income parents. Governor Greg Abbott and a broad coalition of parent groups are pushing for the state house to clear a historic education savings account bill that has already passed the state Senate. 
but a small handful of rural Republican politicians in the House are still voting with the Democrats and the teacher unions to block a measure that would give over 5 million Texas students and their parents the power to decide which school to attend. Rural representatives are arguing that this would take money from their local grade schools and high schools. State reps Ken King, a former school board president from Canadian, Texas, Gary Van Dever, a former school superintendent from New Boston, Texas, and Drew Darby of San Angelo, Texas, are among the Republicans holding up this game-changing bill. They all argue that the public schools in their districts are working just fine. Really? King represents a Texas Panhandle school district where less than half of the students are at or above grade level in reading. Van Dever represents a Northeast Texas district where only 43% are at or above grade level for math. Darby's Central Texas district has less than half of the children reading or doing math at above grade level proficiency. Are these Republicans really arguing this miserable performance is the best Texas can do? The opponents also fail to acknowledge that the bill they oppose actually directs more money per student for rural districts and higher pay for teachers. Everybody wins. Meanwhile, states such as Arizona report improvements in test scores in rural areas once schools had to compete for students with private schools. All this is to say that education choice is proving to be a win-win for Texas children that stay in public schools and the families who are given the funds to opt for better alternatives. I'm Stephen Moore, a Fox News contributor and senior fellow in economics at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.